Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. All right, RJ, we have had a, an interesting week of Kraken hockey, I guess we could call it. Um, not not quite as jovial or as exciting as the previous week. Um, this one's... Yeah, I think we, we're going to have to just start with the game recaps on this one and kind of work out from there because um, I'm still feeling the effects of last night. Agreed. Uh, yeah, definitely still feeling that game from last night. Uh, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory in that one. I think it's best we just dive right in and, and deal with these couple games here. Yeah, so uh, thanks for joining us, everybody, for this episode of The Deep Dive, the November 14th episode of it presented by Queen Anne Beer Hall. Uh, we'll kick things off with that first game from last week, which was on Tuesday against the Nashville Predators. This was um, definitely the high point of the week as Seattle picks up the 5-1 win over Nashville and um, builds out their winning streak to to five games. So first ever five-game winning streak for the Seattle Kraken. And everything looked like as advertised. I mean, the Kraken were still rolling, coming off that road victory sweep. Uh, and you're, you know, you're getting goals from defensemen. Jordan Eberle gets two in the first period. I mean, this, this game, if we, if we can all remember back to that, it was just like UC Soros couldn't stop anything. The Kraken just four goals in that first period. It was, it was unbelievable. It was so fantastic. It was, and it was really fun to be in the building, too, for that four-goal first period. That was the first time the Kraken had ever scored four goals in the first period of a game. Second time ever they had scored four goals in a, in any period. Uh, so it was just kind of this offensive explosion. It was definitely an off night for UC Soros. Uh, that, that much was clear from the get-go on the first shot of the game where Jordan Everly just fires a pretty low danger chance in. Uh, I think you mentioned in the post game, like, was he really shooting to score there? Probably not. Uh, but it just kept rolling from there. It, it kind of had the feeling of a game of games that we saw last season happen against the Kraken where, you know, bad goaltending performance early on, maybe you let it a soft goal and then it gets everybody rattled and the defense has some breakdowns that add on top of it. And before you know, the game is over, uh, but always good to see the Kraken on the right side of a game like that and uh yeah it just felt like they were still rolling yeah they were rolling through that first period you know second period and certainly by the by the time the third period comes around things kind of died down both teams were being honest kind of coasted certainly through that last third period just everybody wanted to get out of there they really all kind of wanted to get out of there after that fourth goal in the first period you got the feeling um there wasn't much fight left in the predators after that one uh yeah, nothing too notable special teams to talk about uh, wise here. Philip Forsberg spoils Martin Jones looking for another shutout on the season. Um, I guess Forsberg was just upset that we didn't shower him with money, even though he didn't give us the opportunity. Just had to twist that knife one more time for us. Um, but otherwise, I mean, everybody played really, really well for the, for the Kraken. And they just, like I said, they kept doing their thing. First line through fourth line, everybody was driving possession, getting chances, making sure that they were playing low, getting the four check going, getting their cycle going. Like it was, it was just kind of peak Kraken hockey and efficiency really. Yeah, it was. Uh, 
the Kraken just, again, they felt like they were on their game. Martin Jones was very good. It's It kind of got lost given the Kraken going out to such a big early mm -hmm. lead. But Martin Jones had to make some very big saves, especially in the second period. There were times when the Kraken faltered a bit and gave up some really high-quality chances, but you just had the feeling Jones was not going to let any in besides that one Forsberg breakaway. Exactly. So, and on that one, what are you going to do against a goal scorer like that, right? Like oh, yeah. It's, oh, yeah. It's, it's just, you know, it is what it is. But overall, it was a really solid game for, for the Kraken. The, the biggest thing to come out of it outside of just like the score and the, the goal bonanza that they had in the first period was Jeremy, uh, not Jeremy Lauzon. Uh, well, it was Jeremy Lauzon uh, giving a little gift to Jamie Alexiak there. And, you know, Jamie Alexiak gets hurt, lower body injury. Um, I mean, any updates you can provide for us here a, a week out kind of? Well, I mean, he was placed on IR immediately, which tells you that, you know, he's missed at least a week there from that injury date. Um, yeah, it, it, you know, it doesn't look great when a player is placed on IR right away. No. Um, you know, that, that means at least the two games that he's missed and I, he hasn't been back on the ice. So I'll say that much. That's kind of the next update we're probably going to get is whenever he returns to the ice. Uh, but we haven't seen him back yet. Right. And so that kind of kicked off um, uh, the, the big question then that became of this week, which was, what do the Kraken do on defense? How do you fill that spot? And for their next game against the Minnesota Wild, the answer was, you, you next man up, it's Kale Fleury. He's been our you know defenseman number seven kind of all this year, healthy scratch. Comes into this game against the Minnesota Wild, plays all right in 13 minutes and nine seconds. Ultimately, though, I mean, the story of this game was just, it was one of the worst games of hockey I've ever seen, RJ. It was just the most boring thing. one nothing victory for the Minnesota Wild. Ugh, this yeah, game. and you know it's boring when even the winning goalie calls it boring after yes. the game. Marc-Andre Fleury did say it was a boring game, uh, and I, I think that kind of matched what we all felt watching that one. Uh, and, you know, boring also in the sense where it's not like the Kraken were just pouring on a bunch of these high quality chances and they got goalied. Yes. Flurry had a very good game, but uh, the Kraken were getting largely outplayed, you know, in each period. Uh, and you know, they were able to get some chances on net, but they just did not make life very difficult for Mark Andre Flurry. And when you do that for a hall of fame goalie, I mean, he's going to do his thing. Yeah. The big story here was the 22 block shots for the Minnesota wild. They helped out, flower in a big big way kraken still were able to get 28 shots off but and this was like kind of the common theme through post game after that one the kraken never looked like themselves they never looked dangerous they never got that four check going they weren't playing low and as we talked about last week on the deep dive how the kraken are playing low is what opens up their d and it allows their defense to start taking more shots, get better scoring angles. It opens up the, the whole offensive zone for them because you're drawing defenders out of position. And the Kraken never really did that in this game. They never got no, it going. No, they didn't. Yeah, sorry. Was, <laughs> no, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, they, they, um, they never got it going. They never, they never kind of found their game. It felt like the inverse of when they went to Minnesota the week before and they kept Minnesota from ever finding their game and never really got got off the ground and that's exactly how this one felt and it was just kind of it was just odd as you're coming off of this five game win streak you're now at home you've got the one win at home thankfully home fans got to see something good there um, but then to just come out so flat I was really surprised by it I was too and after five games of really good hockey uh, this one just looked very different from the Kraken and uh, 
you know, I think lack of focus at times was evident. It, you just did not see during that win streak. Uh, mm -hmm. I talked about it at the time, you know, at the end of the first period when they gave up the one goal of the game where they just kind of looked asleep for a couple shifts where they were just kind of, you know, uh, half-heartedly trailing the puck and, and they didn't look engaged in the game. And there were a couple of times in the second period where that was also the case, but Martin Jones was able to shut the door. Um, it, it just, it felt like a different looking team and, you know, after a five game win streak, you know, it's, you don't get too concerned, uh, you know, but we'll talk about it going to the next game that, you know, maybe there's a little bit of that team that's stuck around. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I'm happy you brought up Martin Jones, uh, makes 20 saves on 21 shots, had another good game. Just, yeah, kind of felt, uh, I, I guess I'll say, I'll say it wasted in this one, just because mm -hmm. the offense never really got things going. Crack and go oh for four on the power play. I mean, never felt dangerous on the power play. Didn't look like the same power play that we had seen from them through, you know, the previous couple weeks. Uh, yeah, there was just kind of concerns there overall about the pace and, and everything that they were playing with. And we see after, as we move kind of towards the next game from there, Dave Haxtell must have felt the same way because get get a little bit of a shuffling of lines. Some things change up front a little bit. She, things change a little on the back end too as you're still dealing with the fallout of the Alexiak injury. Uh, out comes Kale Fleury, in comes uh, Olofsson. Um, but what did you think about the decision to kind of change up the, the forward lines a little bit there after that Minnesota game? I was fine with that decision. I think uh, Hackstall did kind of downplay it as far as I think the question, you know, ref whether he was asked in the morning reference, like a shakeup of the lines. And he's like, well, it's not really a shakeup. You know, we, we moved one winger on the three lines. So it's it's not a big shakeup of the lines. We're just trying to find a little spark. Uh, and when you get shut out and when you look the way that they did against the wild, it makes sense to want to find a spark offensively. Uh, and I'm going to, again, echo Hackstall's answer on this as far as what I thought of it. You know, he said, really, we didn't get to see much of it because of the nature of this game. And we'll talk about that a little further with, you know, the 20 minutes of special teams time. Uh, they didn't really get time to kind of settle into a rhythm. But what I did see from the new lines, I liked. And especially the Tanev Gord. Uh, Bjorkstrand line I thought they were really impressive but I, I like the changes that were made and I would think that Haxtell would stick with them for the next game yeah I don't see why you wouldn't the team felt five on five in the limited time we got to see that uh, it felt more like the Kraken like the Kraken that we were used to seeing over the five game win streak where they felt dangerous maybe not lines one through four felt like the fourth line was kind of MIA in this one if we're totally honest but mm -hmm. certainly lines one, two, and three all felt like they were going. They all felt like they were driving possessions. Guys were able to get some shots off, try to create chances. Jordan Everly looking to try to stay hot. Six shots for Jordan Everly last night in that one. A um, lot from him did result in a power play goal at the beginning. So that was nice. You got the, the one power play goal. But over, other overall, one for four on the power play in this one. Didn't didn't look particularly dangerous. You had a four minute power play. You got one, maybe two shots off on that one. You had a five on three that didn't look particularly dangerous or good at all. Uh, that definitely needs to be worked on. And then, yeah, I mean, we'll we'll let's we'll save the stuff at the end. I guess just what are your? Do you have any other thoughts about the the forward group and and stuff there? 
Uh, yeah, I do want to mention, yeah, I, what I meant is kind of lines one through three, that winger shift as far mm -hmm. as wanting to stick with them. On the fourth line, I'd like to see Daniel Sprong back in the lineup instead of Carson Kuhlman. I know some of that yeah. can be matchup dependent. Maybe if you're thinking, okay, defensive battle against Winnipeg like it turned out to be, you want a guy like Carson Kuhlman there. But Daniel Sprong just provides more spark to that line. And I think he's been playing better yeah. uh defensively and i know haxel doesn't like that to use that word defensively as far as where he's improved his game uh, which i thought was a really interesting answer i'll, I'll go to that from um, one of the pressers and after one of the practices this week um, but there was a question about daniel sprong uh you know playing better defensively and kind of rounding out his his you know his game and axel's like well i don't like to use the word defensively i i think it's 200 foot game and it's uh, which yeah we know we know what yeah. the part of the 200 feet that he was good at but what what stood out to me was he's saying it's like risk reward decisions with the puck okay. and and being better in that way and not i guess making as risky kind of plays just in the name of scoring and i know that's something that hackstall's emphasized this season especially mm. off the rush or in the offensive zone you know maybe throwing a puck on net that's going to create a rush back the other way versus protecting it making sure you find a safer play there um but i do think sprong's been really improved in that area and yeah. I'd, I'd like to see him back in the regular lineup Right, and back out there for power plays too, right? Like we're talking yes. about the power play struggling here. <laughs> and to be honest, it's not like Carson Kuhlman did all that much for you. He played five minutes of 41 seconds last night. That was it. Oh, that's not much. That's no. nothing. That's that's less than Shane Wright was playing when he was in the lineup yeah. out there, right? So, oh, I think, you know, if if you know how many power plays you're going to get ahead of time going into a game. Like yeah, you that, have Daniel you know, Maybe Sprong you do put Sprong in the lineup. Ag agreed. Um, but, you know, Carson Kuhlman, I mean, the fact that they didn't use him for any of their many, many, many uh, PK opportunities, I think also speaks some to, to how they feel towards him and his 200 foot game. But yeah, that is, it is kind of like, okay, you're playing semantics. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't like to say well, we do defense. get that from Haxwell from time to time. I don't like to say defense. Cause really, as we all know, defense starts in the offensive zone. <laughs> it's like, well, <laughs> I guess in certain situations, uh, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that one, but, um, Definitely think we got to see Sprong come back into the lineup. I think that would help things out. Uh, like I said, not just on the fourth line, but also on that that second unit power play. Heck, even first unit power play, whatever. Just you got to do something to wake up this power play right now because um, you, you need it. Uh, Martin Jones, you know, stop me if you heard this before. Another pretty good game, made some big time saves, kept them in it. I think there was definitely times where if Martin Jones wasn't in net for this one, maybe this game gets a little out of hand. Um, Kraken aren't in the position to have things happen the way they happen at the end, <laughs> we'll say. Yeah. Um, and the, I guess the only thing that I'm worried about at this point, RJ, is kind of what we've always talked about with Martin Jones is at what point does this workload become too much? And maybe it doesn't happen in this next little bit because, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this when we kind of get to the looking ahead portion. Um, but you don't have too many games coming up. But at some point, you can't just play one goaltender every single game. No, you can't. No team can get away with that. Um, and yes, Martin Jones has had that workload before. I mean, he's he's been a workhorse, absolutely, uh, in his time with the San Jose Sharks. But we've also seen him get burnt out in those situations. Like, he can handle it. Uh, you know, for the regular season, but it's it's not something you up from really having to worry about it, given the crack in schedule. But yeah, at a certain point, you're going to need somebody else to be able to rotate and take games that you feel confident about. Yeah, and you know, you look at at his time in San Jose while he went through that, and it was 
you know, 65 games, 65 games, 60 games, 62 games, and you can literally just see his numbers get progressively worse and worse as the years go on and as that wear and tear takes a hold. And it's, you know, it's nothing against Martin Jones. Everybody goes through that. No goaltender can handle such an excessive workload, such as starting every single game for their team. So would like to see somebody get worked in in the future. We'll talk about the goaltending situation overall in just a little bit. Uh, I think it's time, though, that we address what happened at the end of this Winnipeg game. Kind of get to that one. Um, all night long, it was kind of a questionable officiating affair. You got uh, the earlier goal for, for Winnipeg. It was a power play goal coming off of a a bad call against Adam Larson, where he goes for a slashing penalty, and all he did was stick lift. Official didn't see it that way. Um and, and so all, all game, you're kind of rocking this 2-1 lead as you get into the final minutes. That one goal from Winnipeg's coming off of a bad officiating call. And then with 30 seconds left, uh, as we all know, Carson Soucy and Pierre-Luc Dubois kind of get into it uh, a little bit. It's kind of a sequence of events that all leads up to ultimately Carson Soucy, you know, taking a shot at the back of Pierre-Luc Dubois' head there, um, gives him a smack, a punch, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Dubois kind of goes down, ref calls it as he should, um, and puts Winnipeg on the power play. And then with just, you know, a couple seconds left, they're able to score and send this game into overtime, uh, where then they proceed to win less than a minute later. And it was just like, oh, this, this just can't happen. And we talked about it a lot last night, but it, the, the bottom line is, as I think Haxtell said it too, right? It's, it's a discipline thing. And you just can't afford to take a, a penalty like that, not with 30 seconds left. It's about, I, I forget what his exact quote is, you could say it, but the idea of just understanding the situation of, you know, it's not the time or place. The time or place is 30 seconds later. Once that final buzzer <laughs> rings, you can you can handle it. But it was just brutal, RJ. It was. I'll, I'll go ahead and read the quote from Haxtell because I, you know, I think it kind of sums things up, but it's an undisciplined penalty. On, here's the quote. It's an undisciplined penalty on our part. That's the piece we can fix. The rest of it, I am a little confused at how that whole sequence happened and why the play was blown down when it was if both guys weren't going to the box, but that's nothing I can control. My focus is 30 seconds to go. Just close that game out. We don't need to settle any scores at that point. And you know, I, I think he hits the nail on the head there. It, that's that's got to be the focus. That's the part they can control. Um, and, and I like how he phrased that because ultimately, if you're Carson Soucy, you do have complete control there. Yeah. You know, if all you have to do is not punch the guy in the back of the head uh, and your team's on its way to winning the game. And, and you can, like you said, you can wait 30 seconds and then go after him, you know, at the end of the game. And then mm -hmm. there's a, you know, huge scrum. The way this game has been going too. I mean, that, that's probably the way it was headed anyway. You were yeah. probably going to get that opportunity. Um, but, you know, you have that, that momentary lapse in discipline and you see the consequences of it. Um, yeah, it was an undisciplined penalty. And, and I think, you know, also we didn't get to talk to Susie after the game. I mean, you know, that generally the players, you know, don't, don't face, the, you know, have to face the media after something like that. That's just how it works, you know, pretty much all the time. Uh, but, you know, his teammates, you know, we kind of asked the, the discipline question, like with Jordan Everly, like, how do you ma manage that balance between being engaged in, in like a battle as Brandon Tanev called it uh, versus staying disciplined and, you know, Everly, kind of, I think, struggled for an answer. He's like, look, it's just, it's towing the line. It's, it's just using your head. Yeah. Uh, and 
it's simple as that. That's what you have to do. You just, you've got to use your head. Yeah. You just can't lose your cool. Got to stay composed. Um, hockey is the one sport that still allows you to settle your differences with a fight, right? Like there, there are avenues to handle this sort of stuff, <laughs> um, built into the game. And, and, and one of those ways is the moment the final buzzer goes, everybody can kind of go at it if that's the way the game is gone. And we've seen the Kraken be involved in stuff like that. I think back to um, their second game of the season against uh, the Kings here in L.A. And, and that's exactly what happened. The final buzzer went and everybody threw down gloves and they all kind of partnered up. And they didn't really totally fight, but everybody was all over each other. And they were all letting each other know that, hey, next time we play, you know, you guys things are going to be different and, and we're not going to let you push us around, whatever. That's what hockey is. That's certainly what NHL hockey is, I guess I should say, or North American hockey. Uh, you could probably broaden it out to that. There there are times and places for everything, and with 30 seconds left and a one-goal lead, there's no excuse for that. And then there's also just no excuse to handle it that way at all. right? There's no excuse to take a cheap shot at the back of someone's head. There just isn't. I don't, I don't kind of care what they've done to you. Um, it, it's a step too far to do something like that. As for um, the confusion around like how the play was blown dead and stuff, I think that goes back to how they, the, the officials kind of maybe didn't handle the second period scuffle all that well. And so I think was the, the ref sees that penalty takes place. He sees Susie take that shot at, at Pierre-Luc Dubois and goes... I have to stop this and we got to get control of this right away because that is the kind of thing that is going to draw the ire of the rest of the Winnipeg Jets out there on the ice. And you could very easily see that situation completely fall apart. Uh, maybe Winnipeg waits the 30 seconds. Maybe they're like, hey, we got the net empty. We're just trying to score, send this game to overtime. Maybe they wait the 30 seconds. But no matter what, if you don't kind of address that situation pretty fast, you know that at some point, whether it's now or the moment the game is over, all bets are off. Everybody's going at it, and, and some bad stuff might really happen. And so my guess is that's what the officials were doing there, was they just said, no, we're going to try to stop this before it gets out of hand, which what we should have done last time. We're trying to learn from our mistake, and that's, that's what's going on. It, that, in my opinion, that I think is what happened. Well, I could see that. And you have to think about it in the context of the game that had just happened and uh, the 10 the man, you know, brawl that happened earlier, you know, in the last period. And you don't want that to happen again. And one that uh, I think, you know, that you said it was was Edzo right on the broadcast that was critical yeah. of kind of how that was handled. And I think maybe you kind of see the that overreaction back the other way uh, just to try and make sure that things stay under control. Um so yeah, maybe that's what it was. I mean, you know, there, there's an argument for taking both guys, but I just think, you know, if you've watched enough hockey, if you've, you've been around the league long enough, you should know that, that, that guy, one, it's always the retaliation that gets yeah. called. That's just, that's consistent. That always happens. And then two, especially knowing the score of the game, they're, they're not going to call Dubois on that splash first and, and put the mm -hmm. Jets shorthanded and end the game that way. NHL officials just aren't going to do that. No, and even if Carson Soucy was just kind of doing the whole cross-check thing at him, they're not going to call that on him either. It was only because Carson Soucy crossed a line to the point of it being an egregious penalty. Like, and let's say they take both. You know what happens? Soucy gets four, right? Like, it's, you know what I mean? Like, like his was kind of next level. He escalated it to a point where things were 
things were beyond what is normal for hockey, what is normal for the NHL. Um, like I said, it, he took a shot at the back of someone's head. They're, like that, that's kind of it, full stop. That's that is next level. Um, and so I, I think even if you you know you take Pierre Luc Dubois at that point, you take him for two, you take Susie for four. Winnipeg's still on a power play at the end, right? Like, yeah. there's, there's in effect, it's the same. There's no, and way. I think yeah, escalation is the right word. And and clearly the league viewed it as next level as well yep. because uh, this morning we woke up to the news that uh, Susie was fined twenty five hundred dollars uh, for that play. Yeah, and I, I think that's appropriate. Like I said, it's something Agreed. that can't happen. It just can't happen in the sport. Um, we know too much about head trauma and all of that stuff for guys to be taking shots at the head. Uh, you know, we, we obviously say that about checks to the head. Nobody wants to see somebody targeted um, when it comes to something like that, whether it's a shoulder or an elbow. Same has to be said for, for you know, punching somebody in the back of the head yeah. when they're not expecting it outside the confines of a fight. I mean, that's one of the reasons why fighting, the one outlet for this stuff, has gone down so much is everybody's a little bit more aware of what that actually means for the two uh, participants. Uh, and so uh, it just, it was a lot. And I do think that the league needed to, to kind of send a message about that. And um, I'm, I am glad that they did. Uh, overall discipline, definitely kind of an issue. Like I said, we brought it up already. The officials kind of not great discipline, definitely kind of not great for the Kraken either. Ultimately, you know, Kraken go into this game, having been on a tear defensively when it comes to the PK, not allowing goals, not allowing goals, not allowing power play goals against. And then in this one, they go to, uh, Winnipeg's able to go two for seven, <laughs> which again tells yep. you all you need to know about this game. Winnipeg had seven power plays. Kraken had four. Tells you a lot. Um, Winnipeg is able to go two for seven. And to be honest, I kind of felt like the Kraken escaped pretty unscathed two for seven. I know the two that came, came off of brutal penalties. Like, the, like I said earlier, the Larson one, that wasn't really a penalty. And then with the Susie situation, it wasn't great, but I, I still think the Kraken did a fantastic job through all of those other ones at, at killing them off. And I, I don't think that the PK um, is going to spiral out from this one. No. And when, when you face seven penalty kills in a game, you know, it's going to put a lot of strain more than kind of just, you know, like three in one game and four in the next, you know, seven total uh, when it's all together in one game and you have to just keep going out there, the, uh, the penalty killers just have to deal with it. Uh, it's going to be more difficult than that. And, you know, the second one was a, a six on four goal too. So the, you yeah. know, the, the jets had another skater out there as well. And that makes a difference in that the way that that goal goes in too, mm -hmm. it's just a net front rebound and you're outnumbered two to one in front of the net. And there's, there's nothing you can do about that numbers disadvantage. Uh, Adam Larson's just kind of left there alone to fend off two jets. Um, so it's, you know, kind of beyond a regular penalty kill as well. Um, yeah, I thought overall they, they fared fine and they had that streak of 18 straight, uh, penalty kills ended, but, mm -hmm. uh, they still look all right. Yeah, I Adam Larson, that's such a tough situation. All I could think of was like, well, there's only like five seconds left. Just lay down, like try to try to see if they can like real quickly go high and, and roof it. Like, I just I don't know what you're supposed to do in that situation at all. Um, one of the things, though, and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier at the start with uh, of this game with the, the kind of the shuffling of lines. And maybe you got a better view of this because it's hard on the TV broadcast to, to see everything. But Less than a minute into this game, cracking around the PK because of a too many men penalty. And I did wonder, is that a result of the, the lineup shuffling there? Guys got a little confused as to who they were playing with and two guys go on when only one should have. Did you kind of see what happened and what led to that? 
Yeah, well, there there was a, a change being made, and two guys came on for one, and they didn't notice it for a while. Like, I noticed there was an entire breakout that they were coming up the ice where they had six guys on. I'm like, okay, the two defensemen are like, wow, you're feeding four forwards coming up for the breakout. I'm like, that's not right. Um, you know, there's too many men penalties. Sometimes it's, you know, just like a change that goes too long or, or a puck that goes over by the bench. This one, they had six skaters on for a long time. So there, yeah. there was a clear miscommunication there. And maybe that is a result of the different lines. I, I don't remember exactly which players were on the ice, but you did have the four forwards all lined yeah. up across their near <laughs> blue line ready for the breakout. Uh, yeah, easy one for the rest of the call there. And then there was another one later on that they they could have called or it was very close to being called too. Um, that that also happened. And that's when I, I really kind of was like, hmm, wow, this hasn't been an issue for the Kraken all season. I wonder if it just has to do with the with the little shuffle there. I remember that the Jets bench was actually barking at the rest. Yeah. I could hear assistant coach Scott Arneal from up in the press bridge all the way across the arena. I could hear the words that he was saying at the official. I won't repeat them, <laughs> uh, but it was loud enough that I could hear it. You can't usually hear the specific on ice no. language, but man, that that one made its way up to me. Yeah, that is some next level stuff. It's uh, it was it was interesting, and so I I did want to talk about it just because again those those are. PK opportunities that you're that you're having to be on that again you don't have to be on. That's a that is yep. that's a different form of discipline uh, than the Carson Susi thing, but it is it is something that is controllable. So definitely want to see the crack and uh, maybe work on that just a little bit moving forward. Um, overall, though, as we start to look forward and we look at the after effects of these games, I worry and I talked about this on the post game last night. I worry about what this upcoming week for the Kraken is going to look like because. You have that Minnesota game that was just bad. It was just bad. Like, there's no other way to say it. It was bad. It was uneventful. It was boring. Whatever you want to say. Um, you weren't terrible in the sense that you only lost one nothing, but you didn't really do what you want to do. You get the lineup shuffle, and then you enter and have this weird game against the Jets where things are all over the place, but you make sure you're putting yourself in a position to win, Right? That's the one thing about this Jets game we haven't talked about yet. The Kraken were in the position to win through all the officiating whatever. The Kraken found themselves up 2-1 with 30 seconds to go before the Carson Soucy thing happens. All wind gets taken out of their sails. They allow the goal within that 30 seconds. They allow the overtime goal to happen against them a minute in. I guess we could talk about the overtime here in a second. But I'm just worried that those two games back-to-back -back and that kind of uh, is it is it progression if it's going down digression is that a word <laughs> regression <laughs> regression there we go that's the word i'm looking for thank you uh i was a writer it's fine uh and that that regression is is the start of a pattern a trend of my snowball analogy that i've been using the last couple of weeks for their win streak of how things all build off of itself and that's very much how hockey goes this is the start of a bad snowball, and I don't want it to keep going. And I don't know if this three-day break that they have before you have a good Rangers team come into town on Thursday, I don't know if it's going to be good for them or not. Yeah, and it's a tough stretch with the Rangers, and then a couple days later, uh, the Kings coming into town. Yeah. Uh, those could be some difficult games. Uh, it's I think it's just that much more important that the team uh, make sure to take advantage of the 
I, well, right now it's scheduled as two practice days yeah. uh, in between and, and kind of have hit that hard reset almost uh, and fix some of these factors. We talked about it on the last post game, uh, how you wanted them to work on the power play. We talked about the power play not being in sync, uh, but really uh, kind of doing this self audit. And I think that's a lot of what the coaching staff is going to go do today on their, you know, the team day off mm -hmm. and, um, and go back and look and see, okay, here's what we need to work on over the next two days. It's going to be very interesting, uh, these next couple practices where they try and nip this thing in the bud. Yeah, and it's it's going to be difficult. And today being the kind of mandated day off is is rough. Like I don't, I like that's absolutely brutal. Yes, it's 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 kind of better for the coaching staff and stuff. But if you're the team and you're the players, right? You have that game. You go through the emotions of that game. You got to have the questions come at you at the end of it, right? Like I'm definitely not blaming you and the rest of the media group for asking the discipline questions, at, talking about what just happened. It's, it's your job and they have to talk about it. But it's that's that's what your memory is from your last game, right? It's we were in a position to win this game. Someone did something wrong. We didn't win this game and it was just brutal. And we all have to like kind of just live with that now for 24 hours. There's no outlet for them to go work through this because can't go to the team facilities and practice and try to work through it, right? These are professional athletes. That's how they work through stuff is is by going and doing their job and, and playing hockey. And they're, they're unable to do that today. And I just feel like that was like the absolute worst timing for the Kraken and uh, I just hope they're able to to get through it on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. Agreed. And that's that's tough. A minute left in the game. You're thinking, you know, you're going to be smiling, have the win, give out the Davy Jones hat. The questions are going to be feeling about the reverse retro jerseys yeah. and how awesome they look. And did you like playing in those? Yes. Uh, you know, but instead, you it's, you know, kind of the somber mood in the room. And you got to just talk about like, well, yeah, we got to be more disciplined. Uh, not fun. No, I mean, it was probably five total minutes, right? Between the start yeah, of that Winnipeg power play and then the end of overtime, it was probably about five minutes, and that's a brutal way to go through things. Let's let's go ahead and we'll let's finish off um, this Jets game talking about overtime, just because a lot of people talked about that in the post game. So let's go ahead and address the overtime uh, um, here, and then we'll talk about the reverse retros because I do want to talk about those, and they yes. did totally get lost in all of this from last night. <laughs> uh, but when it comes to overtime. Kraken didn't look great in overtime. I still feel like momentum-wise, there was virtually no chance the Kraken were going to win this game in overtime. Probably just going to need to survive and get to a shootout. Um, but, you know, we do have a play where Burakovsky takes the puck in. He's trying to skate around through the Jets defenders, try to get a shot off, all that kind of stuff. And ultimately what ends up happening is the Jets just kind of get an odd man rush going back the other way against the Kraken, score the game-winning goal. And there was lots of questions about whether or not Burakovsky should have taken all of that on um i talked about it on the post game it's it's one of those things where i feel like that's partly a lesson he learned in colorado where colorado i've seen them in three on three situ overtime situations and they're of the mindset that you have you know your your skilled players out there and if they can kind of go and and try to create an opportunity given that there's so much more time and space uh having those you know four total players off the ice in these situations um Go and do that and and let your McKinnons, your Nachushkins, your Kale McCarr, your Landeskog, Ronson, like, right, like the list goes on and on and on in a place like Colorado. Let them go out there and try to be the hero because, you know what, they're kind of capable of pulling that off for one. And two, 
if everybody else on the team understands that, then your other two players, you can kind of have one player read and make the decision like your other forward, whether or not they want to kind of assist in that and be there for a rebound potentially. Um, but in all case scenarios, you certainly have your defensemen play very passive and, and very conservative and play back, like not even in the offensive zone just to make sure that they're, you know, at worst, you're going to have to deal with kind of a, a three on one or really it's going to probably be a two on one situation. Um, and I felt like the Kraken, like Burakovsky went to do that. And then the Kraken didn't, the other two pl Kraken players on the ice didn't really recognize that was what was happening. And then they weren't in positions for when it didn't work to kind of, you know, help slow the Jets down and transition back the other way. Yeah, it felt like Burakovsky was kind of playing that Colorado style. Like he felt, okay, I've got Kale McCarr and Nathan McKinnon back there. They're going to back me up once, if yeah. this goes the other way and I can't make this move work. Uh, and yeah, he didn't have those two guys back there. Uh, you know, maybe the communication wasn't, you know, what it could have been. Uh, but again, this is not something the Kraken have a lot of time to practice. Yeah. Uh, you know, three on three, it's just, it's difficult to get those minutes in, uh, when there's so many other parts of, of the game of hockey to work on. Mm -hmm. Uh, and yeah, but it is, it is an issue for the Kraken. I mean, when you talk about overtime and in general too, I think I saw the stat last night, uh, sorry if I'm incorrect on this with the numbers, but I think it's one in seven in overtimes i would time. believe that it feels about like that that's not good no um and you know i think i'll, I'll just say my little piece here and i hate yeah. to to do this because i'm gonna you know take the the coaching side of it which is to make the game more boring and i don't yeah. like that i like these crazy chaotic three-on-three -three overtimes where everyone's going for it and trying to make yeah. a move but i do acknowledge that that's just not how you win in overtime consistently mm -hmm. in overtime on three on three the name of the game is to cycle the puck around in the offensive zone take what the defense gives you take the chances that are available uh, but don't force anything and ultimately just wear down the other team circle it back out just outside the blue line get a line change if you need to but get to a position where you're possessing the puck for long periods of time you have fresh guys on the ice the other team does not and eventually their defensive structure starts to break down and it gives you those chances that that's how you win consistently in three on three overtime yes it's boring uh but that's what's going to get you points and a play like Burakovsky made kind of, it does go against that as, as much fun as it is to be able to, you know, when that works and to be able to pull that off, mm -hmm. I think even the best players you're looking at a 50, 50 chance, you know, maybe a McDavid or a McKinnon can shift that maybe 70, 30 in their favor. And, and in that case, you let them go for it. Uh, but, you know, given, given who the Kraken have, they don't have any generational talents. Um, you're going to win more overtime games by just playing that possession game. Yeah, and well, like I understand what you're saying, but there's a part of me that goes, is that really the best way of doing it? Like, like it's certainly, it makes sense from a logical standpoint, but I also watch teams like Toronto who seem to win more often than not in overtime and they're, the name of their game is just, let's just back and forth all day. Let's, let's wear them out just by having them skate because we're just going to have odd man rushes going back and forth um, this whole game. And so I'm, I'm trying to look it up like really quick here on the fly. And I found this athletic article about three on three overtime and kind of what the, what the stats are. And, you know, obviously puck possession is the, is the first one. And they talk about that. Um, but it does look like there is something to be said for also just generating a bunch of chances and and maybe being involved in that kind of back and forth game it's a really long article I'll, I'll try to link it in the description below and we can kind of 
figure things out about it. But it's yeah, it's a it's a tough one. Um, I kind of like the idea of of just saying like forget it, like let's just go mm. back and forth, and we'll just live and die by that. And you know who cares? The game will at least like end. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Um, and if you've got Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, I I understand that approach. Yeah. Again, for the Kraken, I don't know that any of this makes sense for them in a three on three overtime. Like their best bet is yeah to just kind of probably sit on the puck and try to get to a shootout. Um, that's just how they're constructed. But, uh, you know, end of the day, hockey's an entertainment product, and I will always take the avenue that is more entertaining. I just think that that's <laughs> ultimately what's always best for, for the sport and for the league. Uh, how about this, RJ? You ready for this one? What if yeah. what if you build in a thing like you can get three points for the overtime win if you take five shots in overtime? Let's try to incentivize it. Let's go, right? <laughs> oh, man. Let's get that's... creative. I want a 10-point structure, and it's all like – built around how entertaining your team can make the game you could you could potentially walk away with as many as 10 points if you do it all right daryl sutter would find a way to just have his defenseman just take slap shots on goal from the far blue line just to get those shot points just send out the two biggest guys he's got to just mow everybody down in front and let like his defenseman just sit there shot 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 over <laughs> everybody oh. yeah i know <laughs> Hey, that's All what right. the Kraken need to do, particularly on the power play. Take more shots. Come on, man. Like, let's be real. Serious for a second. Shots, shots, <laughs> shots, 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 shots. Um, all right. Uh, reverse retro jerseys because they looked fantastic, and it was just unfortunate that um, more time wasn't spent talking about them given the game and how it all ended last night. Uh, we talked about it on the post game. I am in love with that color blue, that lighter color blue that they have and, and the level of saturation that they hit, how vibrant it is. I don't know all the artistic terms and all the things used for color. So I, I, I apologize. I can't, I can't adequately express my feelings towards it, but you know, I was worried about it blending in with the ice. I was worried about it when you're playing against a, an opposing team in white. I was worried about it with how the, the digital ad boards would react around it. And the bottom line was, I didn't need to worry about any of those things. It was fantastic. You could totally tell the difference between it and the ice, it and the opposing team, it and the boards. And the whole time, it just looked so beautiful. They were gorgeous. I Just simple as that. And I wasn't even really sold on these reverse retros right away. I remember we talked about them mm -hmm. on the Red Glare podcast, uh, where we kind of went through all the team's reverse retros. And I... You know, I was like, eh, meh, they're, they're okay, I guess. Um, and I think the difference between the lighting from those promo shots and what you actually see when it's on the ice, mm -hmm. just night and day. And uh, that, that, that ice blue, that light blue just pops so well. Uh, yeah. And I just, I love that the Kraken have that color in their tool bag, not just for these jerseys, but for potential future jerseys. If they want to go with that as just a full primary color instead of just having it on top. Um, I, I think it's, it's just a great color to have around. Um, yeah. And, and it needed to be showcased on a Jersey like this. And I, mm -hmm. I did have criticisms also of the reverse retros that I thought it would have been, you know, cooler to go with more like an Iron Man style S I didn't like just the standard Kraken, you know, logo on the front and all of that right. stuff, but you don't even notice. I mean, the thing with these jerseys is you just notice kind of the colors and the striping, the logo just fades yeah. almost into nothing. Really. Um, you just notice the vibrant colors. Uh, and I, I love it. I, I went down uh, into the tunnel 
to be right on the glass for warmups to watch and to grab some close-up photos. Uh, you can see those on our social media, on Twitter, on Instagram, if you want to go take a look at, at what I got. But uh, just to see them up close too, it, the, and the the numbers on the back too, I love the font for the numbers. It all just blends together so mm -hmm. well. Um, and uh, I, I'll say like the jerseys, they look one way in photos and they look so much better in person. Just, you know, I've seen people just holding them up, you know, kind of for promo shoots and whatnot. And they look so much better on the ice. I mean, it just takes that jump uh, in every situation. So I, I am a big fan of these reverse retros now. They got the that reverse dating app game. Look better in person than in the photos. It's hard to do. Let me tell you. It's hard <laughs> I know, to do. right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the other thing that I really, really like about them is that there is a nice distinction um, at the bottom of the jersey, right? They didn't just go two-tone where it's light on top and then dark on bottom and then that dark bit bleeds into the dark pants that they wear. Uh, this is a criticism I had after going and seeing the Anaheim Ducks play in their reverse retros. Uh, a couple weeks ago and if you remember the discord you probably saw me pointing that out because the the bottom of their jersey turns to orange and then they wear orange pants with those jerseys and it's the same shade of orange and so it just looks like their torsos are like a foot and a half long and they look like like little kids out there in like oversized pants and it, it just doesn't look good whereas with this you get that that bit of um, the light blue again at the bottom. You do get the striping of the of the dark blue in there to help break it up so it's not just like color, 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 right? And kind of boring in that way. You get the striping, but there's enough light blue at the bottom, enough distinction to separate the jersey from the pants, and they look like a properly kind of proportioned hockey player out there, and it doesn't look weird, and uh, happy to see that. Yeah, agreed. And one more thing on these. I like the way that the orange NHL crest looks on the front. Yeah, it's one of the few that I feel like it really looks like it belongs there in orange. Yep. Yeah, no, agreed. Because a lot of them, like, I like the idea of doing the orange retro logo. It's the logo I grew up with, right? But on some of them, it was just like the orange just so contrasted with what the rest of that jersey is trying to do that it, it stood out in a bad way. This one, it looks like it a thousand percent belongs. It goes with that blue. Uh, I do know enough about the color wheel to know the whole blue orange connection that they've got going on there. So it does make sense why it goes, but uh, yeah, that's, it is a, it is a really nice, cool thing to see. So loving some reverse retro jersey. It sounds like they did a good job also with all the in arena graphics and everything. If you want to kind of take a moment to talk about that. Yeah, so they had some cool uh, graphics for like reverse retro night. Uh, they had a, a old kind of retro looking scoreboard, you know, with like the little light up dots that, you know, make the numbers and the for all the score and the time and everything. Um, they had kind of just like retro themed uh, things. They had like uh, for the little trivia challenges, it was all like, uh, you know, what year did this happen? And it was like 1951 was the answer for certain, you know, for the that question. And they had, um, they it was kind of, um, it was just a general retro theme. It wasn't like a specific time, which was interesting. Mm -hmm. They had like an 80s new wave band uh, playing, you know, so you had like the 80s hits and everything. You had some throwbacks to like 40s and 50s. Uh, you had a little explainer video talking about the Seattle Ironmen and the history behind that and the way the jerseys were inspired. Uh, but I think there was a lot of a lot of thought put into the presentation and everything. Those posters, those giveaway posters, if you've seen them, so cool looking like and they'll i guess have like a series of them uh for each reverse retro night i kind of want to collect them all they look really cool i this is the first time hearing of such a thing really the posters yeah, yeah. 
Okay, yeah, no, they had these great posters with Jared McCann on them. It was a giveaway for everyone at the game. Um, yeah, the Kraken tweeted some, uh, or put on Instagram and Twitter, I think some like promotional images of the posters. But they've got this cool like you know retro art style and everything, uh, and they they use that. They have little like mock-ups of the players um, for nice. each each player. You kind of tell who they were. It's this like you know artsy style <laughs> yeah. where you had to guess a little bit. Uh, but I thought it looked really cool. Yeah, no, that is cool. That is that is definitely something fun for for fans. Uh, definitely happy about that. Like I said, I'm just happy that they that they look good. We're not going to be like a laughing stock of the league wearing something like this. You know, coming off of last yeah. year, could have gone bad. <laughs> could have gone really bad. Didn't go bad. Hats off to the Kraken for that. Um, all right, it, with the last little bit here of of the podcast, RJ, let's go to some quick hits and talk about um, some stuff that I alluded to earlier. One was the goaltending situation. Uh, so obviously, Grubauer was added to it was LTIR, right? Yes. Yeah. So Grubauer gets added to LTIR, uh, retroactive to when he got hurt and all that. Um, so so that's fun. Um, Joey Decord was the big worry though because we knew we had that kind of thirty day ish window uh, before where he could be sent back down without having to go through waivers again. And it seems like the Kraken have found a solution to that beyond just trying to leave him out for one day at a time and buy as much time as possible. Actually went out and, and found a more sustainable option. Yes, they did. And the solution comes in the form of uh, our old friend Magnus Helberg. Yay. So, yes. He was back. Uh, he's back with the Kraken. Uh, and of course, he saved those gorgeous pads. Uh, yeah, we knew those were not going to get thrown away in that short time. Um, and it seems like everyone's so happy to have him back, too. I mean, the, the fans at that first open practice were, you know, like waving to him and he was smiling and waving back. I, I think he's just happy to, to be back in Seattle and to stay at the NHL level, too. Yeah. Um, so what the Kraken have done is they sent Joey Decord back to Coachella Valley. Uh, he was around approaching day 20 of those 30 days that he had left to be on an NHL roster. So they had to do something kind of quickly. Uh, the senators waived Magnus Helberg after Cam Talbot came back uh, you know, from his injury. And that's the reason they picked up Helberg in the first place. So the Kraken have Helberg back. Now he's the second goal at the NHL level with Martin Jones. Um, and then Joey Decord should be able to get, Good amount of games in Coachella Valley, which is kind of what you wanted to do anyway, I think, mm -hmm. is to get him some games down at that level. Helberg has been playing well, albeit in limited time. Uh, he played a really good game against Dallas uh, for, for the Ottawa Senators, but it feels like he just he gets that one win and then he's got to go off to another team. I, I got to mention this stat here uh, that he's, I, I believe, the only goalie in NHL history to get his first three career wins with three different teams. I mean, that's hard that's, to do. Yeah, that is very hard. To and do. it could be four. If he gets into a game with the crack and gets the win, that would be his first four career wins with four different teams. I mean, it's quite the journey that he's been on. Uh, and I, I talked to him about it a little bit because um, I, for, by the way, also really nice guy, Magnus Helberg had a fun conversation with him, uh, you know, in the locker room after, after morning skate. And yeah, he just, he kind of just had to like sit back and laugh at the journey that he's been on. He's like, <laughs> yeah, it's just been crazy, but I just like try and keep a good attitude about it. And you know, I'm here now and I'm, I'm just trying to play well. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really happy to have him back. Those pads. I I'll never get over those pads. They're just so fantastic and beautiful yep. and wonderful and all of all the ways <laughs> and he made sure to give a shout out to brian's and of course it's a goalie customizer yep. who's the designer that he works with he said best in the biz yeah it's hard to argue when we see results like that those results yeah yeah for sure 
Um, we talked about the Alexiak situation earlier. I, I got to think they're just kind of kind of bounce around between Olsen and Flurry at this point and just kind of go with what they go with until Alexiak comes back. Yeah, I would think so. They've got both defensemen at their disposal really to to try out it's tough with the left-handed right-handed d pairing type of thing Mm -hmm. you might prefer a lefty and i think looking at the justin schultz and kale flurry d pair through no fault of either of their own really yeah uh it just it looked off at times and kind of having to constantly switch off which side they're on uh it just was a little messy and so i understood uh why dave haxtell might want to call up gustav olafson give mm-hmm. him a game and just see how that worked and i like what i saw from olafson too because i went to three firebirds games this season i thought he was at least right now the best defenseman on that team So I I think he was kind of the right guy for the call up at this point in time. You know, maybe we'll see Riker Evans later in the season, but Olafson was the right guy now. Yeah, I agree with that. And then finally, RJ, let's spend a moment to talk about Shane Wright, because one of his contemporaries in this whole, you know, rookies, are they going to stay at the NHL level, go down kind of situation? Uh, Brant Clark with the Los Angeles Kings. Um, we had talked about the idea of the AHL kind of conditioning stint that is available to teams to take advantage of the fact that you can't just have you know, these younger players play at the AHL level full-time because of the contract the NHL has with the CHL uh, and sending them back to their junior teams. And the idea is that if they're a healthy scratch for five games in a row, then it opens up the possibility of sending them down to your AHL affiliate for a 14-day conditioning stint. And we saw that the Kings decided to do that with Brant Clark. He got to his nine games, um, one more, and it would burn a year off his entry-level contract. The Kings then kept him out for five games, uh, and they have now assigned him to the Ontario Reign, um, where he'll play for the next couple weeks. And the timing of this also works as we start looking ahead to the World Juniors, which is something that Ron Francis had talked about with Shane Wright, something we had talked about with Shane Wright. Um, Team Canada's uh, junior evaluation camp is expected to start on or around December 5th. Uh, now, it is that is just the kind of the, the beginnings of camp is kind of the more evaluation standpoint. Got to think in both Brant Clark's case and Shane Wright's. <laughs> probably don't have to go through all of that. Probably have a good chance of making the team uh, just through straight up training camp and stuff. But that is kind of when it would start. And so you start looking at it from a cracking perspective and looking at the cracking schedule and what's going on there. And uh, that would put it, if they wanted to do a two-week stint with with Shane Wright before he would have to leave for that evaluation starting around the 5th of December, it would be about this time next week would be kind of the optimum time to to send him down. And wouldn't you know it, that would also get him to the five games needed for him to be a healthy scratch, and you could do that. Do you think there's something there, RJ? Do you think that's all just coincidence, the timing and, and the lineup of the schedules and everything here? You know, it, it could be coincidence. I mean, we have kind of had a false alarm on this before, where yeah. when this news came up, Shane Wright was on healthy scratch number four in a row, uh, and then he didn't get number five. He played in that Pittsburgh game, and we figured, okay, well, false alarm. Uh, but it's coming back up again, and now it looks like the timing is is potentially even better. And especially given the Firebird schedule where they're playing a little bit more regularly, Shane Wright could potentially get into more games as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's something we have to start looking at again. Um, it's it's I think it could be a, a good idea for him, honestly, too. We talked about this 
with the past false alarm situation where we thought he might be sent down, I think it'd be good for him to get some AHL games. And the fact that another team has now done it, uh, you know, with, with their rookie, I, I think in some ways it almost just makes it, you know, look more acceptable. And it's not like, Oh, Shane Wright can't hack or whatever, but, but, you know, if, if Brant Clark can be sent down and I think he's had a pretty good nine games, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it almost gives the crack and, you know, more of an excuse to do it. Not that they should be worried about that, but as far as the, you know, the, the media storm and all the, that story around the league, I think it takes some of the edge off of it. Yeah. So uh, he is sitting on three games being healthy scratch now uh, since they've been back home, uh, starting with that predators game. And then, the you know the rest of this week before the next time you hear us do a deep dive they, the Kraken will have two more games against the Rangers on the 17th and against the Los Angeles Kings on the 19th which would put him assuming he's scratched for both of those put him at the five uh, game mark so then you can start looking at sending him down maybe next week on uh, Monday on the 21st can be there for the Coachella Valley game on uh, Tuesday November 22nd against the Calgary Wranglers get another game in on the 24th get a game in on the 26th and then there's kind of a break until December 2nd against Henderson but you get games on the 2nd and 3rd kind of get through both of those and then maybe go off to a team Canada camp it would be five AHL games it's it's an interesting you know idea it is a definite interesting <laughs> idea, and I got to think that Ron Francis and company and, and Dave Hagstall, they have worked all this in such a way that, that they are keeping all those options on the table, and they're aware of the timing of it and what would all need to take place. So very, very interesting stuff indeed uh, there, and I do think that, yes, the Brant Clark thing opens the door for them to do it without yeah. as much blowback. Agreed. And you know that Ron Francis has to be considering all the options and, and he's got all these dates, you know, ready to go. I mean, this this team's on top of things like that. You remember they sent Joey Decord down to the AHL for like one day and a paper move yeah. to save one day of eligibility. They're thinking about all this down to the very day. There there is a yeah. plan. Um, you know, obviously you aren't gonna tell us straight up what it is, but but there is a plan. I think we might see it start to come together. Uh and also just watching Shane Wright kind of day to day as, as we've seen. And I always try and get that sense of, you know, how he's doing. It's, it's hard to tell from just watching him out there late with the scratches every day, but um, it's, he seems certainly less, I don't want to use the word discouraged because it seemed like for a few days there, like, and this is like a few weeks ago, like he might've been a little discouraged, I guess, mm-hmm. um, you know, not getting into the lineup, but he seems you know, outwardly, at least a lot more optimistic about things. And like, there is a plan and he's on board and and all of that. Um, So yeah, I think, I think he probably knows what, what the plan is, even though we don't know all the details of it. I'm sure that's something that's uh, being shared with him. And and for the time being, he just gets these, that extra individual practice in with the coaches Mm -hmm. uh, at the end. And he's still staying out there uh, with the scratches beyond what the other scratches are doing. I think that's still worth mentioning. Um, and, and a quick little Shane Wright story, because I think we might have this uh, developing rivalry here uh, between Shane Wright and the Zamboni driver. Oh, uh, <laughs> because uh, we, we saw it at, uh, and by the way, this is all in jest. I'm being funny here, but Montreal people don't, don't get on this. Um, but uh, we saw this in training camp. Uh, or was it dev camp where, where Shane Wright was kind of the last one out on the ice after the scrimmage and the Zamboni driver kind of had to honk at him to get off the ice. Um, and then it came up again uh, after their last practice where uh, Shane Wright stayed, gosh, for a good, you know, 20 minutes or so uh, 
by the penalty box is just signing autographs, taking pictures with fans, basically everybody. And it was a big turnout for practice that day. Everybody who got in line to the last person who wanted a picture, an autograph or anything, he stayed to sign or take pictures with. And to the point where the Zamboni started coming onto the ice because there was the, the team USA women's scrimmage <laughs> coming up and the Zamboni driver was actually just stopped the Zamboni right outside the penalty box and was looking over at Shane, <laughs> just kind of waiting for him to finish up. And then more people kind of kept getting in line and Shane wasn't going to tell anybody no. Right. Uh, so at a certain point, the Zamboni driver just gave up and started resurfacing the ice and just doing his rounds. Uh, so by the time Shane was done, he actually just kind of skated along as the Zamboni was going. Um, but maybe in a little bit of emerging, emerging uh, you know, rivalry clash there uh, between Shane Wright and the Zamboni driver if he keeps this up. Hey, and you know, you never want to piss off those Zamboni drivers uh, because you never know when you need them to step in and win you a game. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> right, they have them. more power than you know. They really do. Uh, but I love that that kind of that passive aggressive move of like pulling up the Zamboni and then just like stopping it and like yep. like, like waiting, seeing if that matters, and, and, then it, it, and then it not working too. That is pretty yep. funny. Yeah, no. Uh, Shane Wright was not about to let the Zamboni driver stop him from, uh, from yeah. signing some things for the fans. No, uh, got to think that maybe, maybe in the future could work out something where uh, Shane Wright goes to you know the side of the rink, uh, right off the rink, so the Zamboni could get to work. And he has done that in the past. It was fans. kind of this impromptu thing. Yeah, I don't think it was. It wasn't like a scheduled autograph signing okay. or anything. You know, there wasn't like a team rep or anything. Okay. It was just Shane in the penalty box, All right. passing things kind of through this through little the, slit yeah, in the glass. Yeah, yeah. I love so. that. I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> it's really funny, actually. Um, all right. And then just a quick uh, Coachella Valley Firebirds update. RJ, they are falling in the standings. What is happening besides the fact that everyone else is playing more games? Uh, seven and three. That might do it. Yeah, I know. Everyone's passed them by, by one point. They're fourth in their division uh, behind Bakersfield, Ontario, and Colorado, who all have at least one game in hand and they're all only one point ahead of Coachella Valley. Coachella Valley's still crushing it. Uh seven and three record, forty one goals through their ten games, which is definitely the best um, you know, goals per game ratio in that Pacific division. So very, very happy to see that from from them. Yeah, they're a fun team to watch, and that was apparent uh, even when they were playing the games up here. You knew they were going to play a really fun style of hockey, uh, and I think the development is, has been good, too. You look at what Cole Lind is doing uh, on that team and the numbers he's putting up. I mean, the Kraken have so much forward depth that they can't really think about calling him up, but if they ever needed somebody... Uh, you know, Cole Lind would be a great call up. And I just love what the coaching staff, Dan Bilesma and, and Jessica Campbell and um, and Stu Bickle are doing uh, there in Coachella Valley. They're going to create a, a lot of fans when they yes. finally come home in December and play that first home game. Yeah, Cole Lind with that kind of ultimate AHL stat line of 10 games played, 6 goals, 14 points, and 31 pins. <laughs> love it you got to adjust your game to that level you absolutely got to get those penalty minute numbers up absolutely you have to that's my favorite thing of going to the standings board uh for for the for the ahl it's got you know wins losses goals for the regulation wins all that kind of stuff right and then the very last thing on the standings page penalty minutes 
they know what the they're doing. The all-important stat. They know, they know what, the, what the AHL fans want, and it is incredible, the range that you see here. Uh, apparently, Pacific Division, we got all the goons out here on the West Coast, all the teams with over 200, some well, well, well into the 200s, like the Barracuda 269. Uh, all Already? Of them, all of them out here in the Pacific Division. Yeah, things, things go off. I know, things go off out here. 269 through 12 games. Wow. <laughs> love it. Absolutely love it. Maybe that's why they've only got 28 goals. <laughs> could, could have something to do with that. I don't know. Maybe they could look at it. Um, all right. That's going to do it for this episode of The Deep Dive, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, thanks once again to the sponsor, Queen Anne Beer Hall, for, for all that they do, helping us out and sponsoring all of these awesome uh, things that we get to do. And, uh, yeah, let us know your thoughts about everything that we talked about today. What you know, Your thoughts about the Shane Wright situation, thoughts about the retro reverse jersey, thoughts about how the Kraken are playing and maybe ways that they can stop the bad snowball from occurring over these next couple days in practice. Would love to hear it all in the comment section on YouTube or on the Discord or coming at us on Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. You all know what to do. You're all awesome at it all. And um, we'll see you all next time. <laughs>